Good morning, everyone. It is a joy and privilege to come together as we continue our Advent sermon series. Pastor Eugene started last week, um, four Sundays leading to Christmas as we remember and celebrate the birth of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Last week, Pastor Eugene covered the Advent theme of hope, going back to roughly about 700 years before Christ's birth. Today, we will look at the theme of peace, doing some time traveling with the prophet, jumping about 150 years, uh, middle of 6th century BC. And next two Sundays, Pastor Eugene will finish the themes of joy and love. May we remember his first coming and as we continue to prepare for his second. Let's pray as we read the word. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, and in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Scripture reading today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. We'll be reading verses 3 through 5. Again, that's Isaiah, chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. When you have found it, please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. You may try to think of perhaps big road cleanup stories in your life or city cleaning up stories. For me, one of the things I remember following long, long time ago was the preparation of 1988 Olympics in Seoul, South Korea. The country spent a lot of money as they prepared to welcome dignitaries from the world along with tourists. And they began cleaning in preparation the Han River, the slum areas, building roads, stadiums, and other buildings so that the country would look good. Maybe for some of you guys, you remember a couple of years ago when um, President Obama was giving the commencement speech at Rutgers. Maybe you were a student, maybe you were graduating, or maybe you just heard about it, how there were tons of um, things taken care of before um, President Obama came, security checkpoints to areas being blocked off, and if you didn't come at a certain time, you just couldn't get into the campus. But most recently, last month, the city of San Francisco, after struggling for a while with homelessness, drugs, and crime, um, underwent a transformation. Well, they had a big event coming up, Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit, where both Biden, um, President Xi from China, as well as others from the world were coming. So city workers were sent out, and they spent a lot of money planting, installing, 
flower baskets to putting up walls and barricades, sweeping away tent encampments in the downtown area, scrubbing down graffitis, painting new murals, and hanging up signage for the summit. Governor Gavin Newsom said in an interview, we're cleaning up the state. And he continued by saying, I know folks are saying, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming to town. That's true, because it's true. But it's also true for months and months and months before APEC, we've been having this conversation. In the ancient Near East, roads were constructed, as they are today, to facilitate trade, to allow military to move, and to foster communication. And especially before a king, king's arrival, you would have people going to prepare the road, to smooth and to prepare the journey. And typically, you would have people going out to inspect the road condition. And if there are any repairs necessary, they would do it. They would also clean and clear things, whether from debris, just as we know after a big storm, things get fallen onto the street. And after lots of use, you would need things to be filled up also. In addition, you would have people going before to decorate the path so that the king or whoever will be coming will be received with these kind of banners and embellishments along the way. These meticulous preparation reflected the importance of the person coming. Greater the importance, greater the care, resources, energies, and commitment. When someone heard verse 3 that we read today, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Any listener at that time or any reader at that time would recognize that they're talking about a king who's coming, a royal king or an emperor, and they are to prepare, be ready. Last week, Pastor Eugene preached from Isaiah 9, um, giving us an birth announcement an exciting birth announcement, but a little bit in advance, 700 years in advance. And at that time, it was the Assyrians who were in power, and they were the um, threat. And throughout the book of Isaiah, especially from chapter 1 through 39, there's a lot of language of divine judgment and God confronting the people of Israel, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom of Judah. You see, Though God challenged them, called them to trust him, people of God were imitating the nations around them instead of trusting in the Lord. They turned to political military power of the day instead of trusting in him. And it was this failure to trust in the Lord as king that eventually led to the tragic first great exile, 722, when the Assyrians came in. And the Israelites from the north were taken away. Chapter 40, however, on to chapter 66, kind of pivots the time. If the first 39 chapters is really about around 700 to 722 B.C., when we turn to chapter 40, we come to a different time. You fast forward roughly about 150 years And now, 
the word of God that God gives through Isaiah the prophet is to those who are in Babylon. They're taken away as captives. City of Jerusalem has been destroyed. Temple has been destroyed. People have been deported. And these people have been living in exile for quite some time. If the primary world figure of the first 39 chapters is Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, the primary world leader of the latter part, chapter 40 through 66, is Cyrus, the king of Persia. Isaiah 40 kind of begins in a way as you would see in John, book of John, in the Revelation, where he's taken up in spirit into future, just as God showed John what was going to happen here, God shows Isaiah what's going to happen to the future generation some 150 years later. Now, in chapter 39, the chapter right before, Isaiah predicted that Judah would go into exile to Babylon. And that's exactly what happened about 150 years after, in around 587, 586 B.C. Imagine temple destroyed, Walls destroyed, Israelites taken captive. But chapter 40 assumes that all that already took place. And now, chapter 40, God speaking, no more punishment language. There's a message of hope, message of comfort that God gives to the people of Israel When you encounter disasters, it makes us quite afraid and hopeless at times. I remember working with a student way back who grew up in Serbia, where he grew up hearing gunshots, and by God's grace, he was able to leave. But those kind of things traumatize you. Some of us, perhaps to a different degree, but we either just recently or we are going through something like a disaster of our scale. And maybe we are afraid and find ourselves hopeless, questioning God. Are you still for us? Are you still with us? And these are the kind of questions that eventually the Israelites who've been deported to Babylon were confronting, facing. With all that they've seen, they're wondering if God is still around. People of God were defeated, bitter, and disillusioned. But in that context, this is the message that God gives to the people who will be there in 150 years. It hasn't happened yet, but this is the message. He will comfort you. Now, God will use Cyrus to deliver his people. And that edict that Cyrus um, gives around 538 B.C., allows any Israelite who've been away captive to return if they want to and to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild it along with the temple. And while this is dealing with physical deliverance, God, again, teaches us that there's a servant, the Messiah, who's going to bring about the ultimate deliverance of his people and the world. I know I read the first three verses, verse 3 through 5, but right before, it's a famous passage also. 
Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Though you may feel like God is no longer your God, the Word of God reminds us that there are His people and He is their God. And we see three reasons. Like the, the proclamation, the verses that we read earlier is the content of the proclamation, but the context is given in the first two verses. And these are the three um, reasons why the proclamation of comfort is given. First, um, the warfare is ended. Now, this is speaking of military language, referring to hard service, almost like resembling if you're an army unit, you have a certain term you're supposed to serve, your tour of duty. And now the tour is over. Now it's time to come back. Second, the iniquity is pardoned. Payment has been made for her sins, and God has accepted that as sufficient. And third, Israel has received double for all her sins. It means that punishment has been sufficient fully. The city of desolation, or what's remaining, the subjection to Babylon, abandonment by a God, is enough. And now, the occasion, because of that has all happened, God is ready to comfort these people, his people. It's amazing, the previous chapter 39 basically is filled with the word, words of doom. And that's exactly what happens and in chapter 40, we see words of comfort, doom and comfort side by side. Some think of the book of Isaiah and says it parallels the Bible. 66 books in the Bible, 66 chapters. First 39 chapters in Isaiah is of mainly speaking of judgment. And then the remaining 27 books speaking of hope from 40 through 46 kind of paralleling the New Testament and the Old Testament. However, in speaking more specifically about chapter 40 of Isaiah, there are great statements like Oliver Cromwell, who considered it as the greatest chapter in the Bible. And as Pastor Eugene in the past have mentioned, and as I just read the first couple of verses, this chapter inspired many, especially people like Handel, who wrote the Messiah, that people sing and stand in ovation. And those of you who follow church history, chapter 40 was an important chapter that strengthened the great Martin Luther as he stood before the Diet of Worms in 1521. And after prayer and deliberation, by God strengthening him as he meditated on passages like Isaiah 40, was able to say, here I stand, I can do no other, help me God. Let's look at Isaiah 40, 3 through 5. Verse 3, it reads, A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The two verbs, to prepare and to make straight, preparing as cleaning away, removing obstacles, and making straight in terms of things that are rough, smooth it out. 
And we see this image, this picture of what the person who's supposed to go is to do. All of this for what? In the desert to prepare a way for God to come. This way is not for actually the Israelites. And yes, by Cyrus' edict, they do end up coming back. But this highway, this preparation is speaking of what? For whom? It's for the king. It's for God to come. It's a way for God to come. The Lord himself is the one who is going to use this highway. Yes, the king is coming. And he wants us to be ready. A new day is dawning. Question is, are we ready? He's going to take residence back in Jerusalem as he's speaking to the people who are in Babylon. And he's telling the people, be ready. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it reads, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt, same word for tabernacled. He came. He came and dwelt among us. And we see the fulfillment of what God has spoken in Isaiah 40 being fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. When verse 4 continues, it says, Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, and uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. You fill up the valleys, you level off mountains, you make steep ground level, rugged spots smooth. This is what shall happen. It should be done. It is what God does as people of God does it. In a general way, as I'll speak later about John the Baptist, it causes us to think about the places in our lives that needs to be leveled and prepared spiritually, the readiness that we need to undergo because he is coming. As we prayed numerous times leading up to this, he came, yes, first time, but he will return. Question is, Will we be found ready? God will accomplish his purpose. Every valley shall be lifted up. And true repentance is what he is demanding. Verse 5 ends with, when the road is prepared, this is what's going to happen. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. When the highway is prepared, the Lord will show himself and reveal his glory that all will see. Glory of the Lord is a sign of his presence. Because when the temple is destroyed, the sign of his presence was destroyed. But ultimately, that was a reflection of what is to come. And this glory will be revealed to the whole world, not just to the Israelites, as a theme of universal display continues here, as we see in the book of Revelation, and interspersed throughout the Bible. When Jesus was born, 
The glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds, and they were terrified, rightly. And as I read in verse 14 of John chapter 1, yes, the word became flesh and dwelt, or tabernacle, among us. And it continues by saying, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Later on, we see in his transfiguration, his unveiled glory, showing us, preparing us for his ultimate glory that he's going to reveal as he gets crucified on the cross, where he displays the fullness of the attribute, all the attributes of God's glory from his love and justice, mercy and grace, wisdom and power, wrath and patience. And all of this, it will happen because God has spoken. He said it, and he will make sure it happens. Isaiah 43 through 5 in different form shows up in four of the Gospels. John the Baptist cries out in the wilderness, preparing, calling out to prepare the way of the Lord. And he's not a civil engineer. He's not trying to literally prepare the highway, leveling things. But he's preaching. He's preaching the message of what? Repentance from sin. And he's baptizing people, baptizing as a symbol of repentance, and clearly pointing out to people of the atoning work that this Son of God came to do. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As he preaches the message of repentance and as he baptizes to those who are high and low, he blasts away any sense of self-righteousness, especially to people like self-righteous Pharisees and Sadducees, calls them to repent. And he gives hope to the wretched sinners, raising them up. He understands the need to disturb the comfortable and the need to comfort the disturbed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Season of Christmas and New Year is a stressful time for a lot of people. I think that's one of the reasons that contribute to higher level of theft, break-ins. They feel greater need to provide and they can't and other factors leading in. But it also elicits a different kind of anxiety in a lot of us, even for us Christians. And it is Christ, the Prince of Peace, who calls us to come to himself because he alone is the one who can give true peace, peace with him. And as we have peace with him, peace with others. And as we begin to have peace with them and others, peace with ourselves. I think soon once we finish the Westminster Larger Catechism, we will probably go into Heidelberg Catechism. Westminster Shorter Catechism starts with what's the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy forever. The first question of Heidelberg Catechism starts with something a little different. It asks, what is your only comfort? in life, and in death. What is your only comfort in life and death? And this is the answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul 
in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. The source of our comfort in life and death, brothers and sisters, is in knowing that we are not our own, but that we belong both body and soul, in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the comfort that we have because of Christ. And why do we not belong to ourselves? It's because he has paid fully for all of our sins with his precious blood and has set us free from the tyranny of the devil. We no longer belong to ourselves. I'm not my own. This isn't my body. It's his. It belongs to Christ. And this redemption is accomplished because forgiveness and removal of guilt happen when he paid fully. And because of what he's done, now we are free to serve. Free to serve him. Free from tearing your devil and free to serve the Lord who is worthy. And the catechism answer continues to encourage us by reminding us that his providential care is for us. He gives us comfort in life and death through the redemption, but also he provides us with all we need in this life. And nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. And nothing will happen unless it is under the will of God. May that give us peace and comfort. May the assurance of our salvation, the work of the Holy Spirit within us, give us comfort. Maybe you are anxious today. This assurance, may we experience it more and more as we come back to the cross, as we remember his first coming, as we are challenged now to prepare, prepare just as God used Isaiah chapter 40, and just as John the Baptist, brothers and sisters, may we be prepared for his second coming. Are you ready? The best way is to grow and live a life of continual repentance, knowing that he can come anytime. Let us pray. Jesus Christ, you are the Prince of Peace who came in your glory and offered us through your life, death, and resurrection peace with God the Father, peace with others, and peace with ourselves. Would you grant us the grace to find comfort and peace in you as we continue to prepare for your second coming, as we continue to live a life of repentance for the King of kings, Lord of lords. Amen.